Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and today I have Kevin Cope with me. Kevin founded Acumen Learning in 2002, the leader in business acumen training. Kevin's ideas and business models have been taught to some of the world's most respected and successful companies, including 17 of the Fortune 50. Welcome. Yeah, thank you, George. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for being here, uh, Kevin. I really appreciate it. Can you tell our audience a little bit about your business acumen uh, learning? Uh, what is it about? What should they know about it? Yeah, thanks for the question. Well, uh, we've been in <laughs> business 12 years. And in essence, we help individuals and organizations with their business acumen. And we define business acumen as understanding how a company makes money and making good decisions around the money-making process. So in large organizations, for example, Coke, McDonald's, GE, and Verizon are clients that we work with. Uh, we help uh, individuals understand their company's financial statements, how their company's performing, and what they can do to improve those results. Uh, we also have some tools to help individuals and entrepreneurs to uh, also uh, enhance or build their own business acumen as well. Okay. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you were doing prior to starting Acumen Learning? Yeah. So I had a, a business finance education and uh, out of school, uh, actually worked with a bank for about three years. And then in 1989, I joined the Covey Leadership Center. Uh, you may remember uh, Stephen R. Covey wrote the uh, quite famous book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Well, I worked with that organization uh, for about a decade. And it was a great time to be involved with that company. We, we actually grew quite dramatically and uh, really had an impact on the world and had taken those concepts worldwide. And so my last position with uh, Covey, which was then merged with Franklin to become Franklin Covey, I was the president of International, so headed up all of the international operations uh, for the Franklin Covey company. So uh, what was the reason for starting Acumen Learning? Uh, was that your first business, first time to kind of strike out on your own? Yeah, you know, uh, <clears throat> I'd started a company in high school and uh, then uh, started a construction company during college and actually did that after uh, college for about a year. So it had a chance to run my own company, but it had been quite a span, you know, between uh, that, uh, you know, about 1986 or 7 when I did that to 2002 when I started this. So what? So uh, let's talk about that a little bit. So you started a construction company when you were in high school? Yes. Uh, That's interesting. <laughs> Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So I actually worked for a contractor and uh, what I did, and so, you know, construction, I may be uh, being a little kind to myself. What I did is a lot of projects, you know, some small remodels, building fences, uh, doing some repairs, things like that. But in college, uh, actually had uh, built homes and uh, did remodels. So in high school, kind of starting on the smaller things, but in college and after college, it actually blossomed it into a, a business where I was actually building uh, single-family homes. So did it pay for your college education or did it do more for you? You know, it did put me through school. Um, but when you say more for me, I, you know, it really does build um, 
great leadership skills, great management skills. You, you have the ability more to talk with folks, work with customers. And so, you know, in addition to paying the bills and building a, in, a nice business that way, I, I think it was also a great personal and leadership development uh, experience for me as well. So how come you didn't pursue it further? Yeah, you know, uh, I quite enjoyed construction, but it started when I was about 13, um, actually putting in quite a few hours in construction. In, in high school, I had nearly full-time work because I, uh, you know, would work on Saturdays, a pretty long day, and then after school. And so I think by the time I'd graduated from college and been a year out, um, I'd actually spent a fair amount of time in the industry and uh, was, I guess, just interested in a change at that point. And so went in quite a different direction, went into banking. Okay. So let's talk about acumen learning a little bit. Um, you know, our audience, you know, people that are listening, they're, we're all in very competitive areas, and, and yours is a competitive uh, area as well, competitive market. So what do you do to differentiate yourself from all the others out there? What do you have to do, and what do you think is good strategy as a differentiator? Yeah, it's a great question, George. Um, so we compete in the training and consulting space, and there are a lot of uh, companies out there that do that. So in our program is generally uh, uh, one or two or three days of, of training, fairly intensive. And a lot of these companies whether it be leadership training or time management training or how to uh, better execute with teams, uh, we have become highly customized. So I think one of the things that really differentiates us is we're very uh, customized around our clients. Many in our industry will come in and they have kind of a standard curriculum uh, that they then deliver. And it might be as easy as changing the date and the company name on the first slide and you're kind of ready to teach now leadership to a company. For us, uh, we spend a fair amount of time researching our client. We'll look at their financials, their financial history. Uh, we'll look at their strategy. Uh, we'll listen to their CEO's uh, uh, messages out to either investors or to the public. And so we are quite differentiated in how customized we are and how well we know our customers. And so, boy, uh, we're very customer-centric. We know their business inside and out. And even when we teach, we use terms like we. Uh, we've, we've spent so much time getting ready for this client and understand them. We use terms like we versus, you know, your company needs to do this. We would suggest, you know, here's what we need to do. So have you considered... I mean, you know, it seems like every project that you work on is a custom project, right? Yes. So, and it's very difficult um, to scale a business like that. So, have you considered productizing your business in some way? Yeah, that's insightful. Uh, we've got several things that we're doing to create that kind of annuity stream of business or to a degree productize it. Uh, we've got some individual offerings. Uh, we've got e-learning where uh, individuals, whether they're a small entrepreneur or a small company, can go through our training online. Of course, we've got uh, the book, Seeing the Big Picture. And we're also taking our content internationally through a partner that will set up licensees. Uh, we actually do a fair amount, probably oh, 10% of our days would be to international clients. So we've probably been to about 20 different countries this year or more. Uh, and we're actually going to set up field licensees who can then represent us and build our business uh, e even further. So I, I kind of like to call that making money in your sleep. And I've been looking and we're now implementing several projects to help bring that about. 
So how much of your growth is overseas? I, I just interviewed uh, the nomad capitalist. Uh, I don't know if you heard of him, but basically, you know, he is basically talking about that growth is overseas. You know, you know, it's Asia mostly, um, and and maybe even in Eastern Europe and some some newer markets. So how much of your growth strategy is overseas? Yeah, you know, I was. Uh, at a conference this week in Orlando and listened to Thomas Friedman who wrote the book The World is Flat. Great book. Um, yeah, I read all, most of his books. I, I love his books. Yeah. yeah. And his whole premise is um, that anywhere, uh, anybody anywhere can compete through the internet. And, you know, uh, so uh, whether it's uh, manufacturing or even call centers or accounting, uh, you know, somebody uh, here in, you know, I'm in Utah right now. Somebody in Utah could actually hire their accounting or legal services by somebody overseas. Um, and so the world is flat and anybody can compete anywhere. So because of that, uh, you know, Thomas Friedman would suggest, and we're seeing that uh, international has significant opportunities because they're now able to compete. Any uh, third world or emerging economy can compete on a world scale. Well, I think what's happening is you're seeing a lot of those countries develop in a lot of uh, manufacturing capability and other service capability, but they haven't had the leadership development to go along with that. And I think that's one of the things that's holding back uh, some of those emerging economies. They've got great uh, skilled labor, but not necessarily the leadership capability to help build upon that or to lead and manage you know, those efforts. And so I think that puts us in a good position. Uh, and that we're training uh, leaders how to think more strategically about their business, how to understand the financials of their business. And I think that's part of the reason we're really focusing on this international licensee organization represent our content. So let's talk about marketing acumen learning. What is your marketing strategy? What has been effective for, for you since, since starting back in, in 2002? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, um, it was a lot of hard work and effort to get the company started. Uh, you know, it was literally, it was, it was quite an experience for me. I was, you know, running a pretty good-sized organization in a publicly traded company. And for, you know, several reasons, I uh, uh, started this company, one of which was I'd actually early retired, George, and when I was 38. Uh, I had ownership and stock that was uh, worth enough that I was kind of set for life. Uh, that changed dramatically, and the stock dropped, lost over 90% of its value in about two uh, two-year period of time. So let's talk about that, because uh, that's, that's, you know, it's a slap in the face, but it happens to so many people, unfortunately. Uh, how did you feel when that happened? You know, it was a huge hit to my ego, I got to tell you. Um, it was uh, humbling, and in hindsight, it was the exact right thing for me. I think I'd probably had too much success too early. I think part of it was hard work, but part of it, you know, quite frankly, I was in the right place, right time, right company. And so to go through that experience, um, really, uh, in hindsight, was probably the best thing for me. I, I much more appreciate success now and money today than I did, uh, you know, a decade ago. And so... Uh, so when when that happened, uh, how long did it take you to say, you know, I'm not going to feel sorry for myself any longer, and I'm going to do something? I mean, was it a matter of days, months, years? Oh, I was. 
wish I could say it was days. <laughs> you know, um, so <laughs> as that happened, I was day trading. You know, I thought, so maybe that's that's maybe how I'll kind of get back in and, you know, earn a living. So I started day trading and I was doing that in 99, 2000, uh, 2001. And if you'll remember kind of the history of the stock market, that was a horrible time. I made a lot of money in 99 and 2000 and then lost a lot in 2001 because the market turned so dramatically. Yeah. Um, and so it was shortly thereafter that uh, I kind of jumped in and started this. And, and George, I got to tell you, it was probably... And the first year and a half was probably, uh, you know, I'm cold calling, sitting in a room by myself where I'd run, I had several thousand folks and a hundred million dollar business I was running. Uh, and now I'm cold calling in a room by myself. And so I'd love to say, hey, you know, I, I had the right mindset within days. Boy, I had to, um, <laughs> I, I had to really energize myself each day to get up and, and get to those calls. And I think the thing that motivated me was, you know, my family was counting on me, and I needed to make a living. Uh, I wish I could say it was more altruistic, and I had this grand vision, but I'll tell you, I I needed to make it happen for my family, so that's what motivated me to, to get up and do it every day. I, I needed to figure that out. I'm so glad you shared this because, you know, there is not, just not enough talk about this when it comes to entrepreneurship and business because, you know, we hear about success stories and how this company does this and that and then billion-dollar exits and all that other stuff. But, you know, nobody wants to read about the, the fail, failures or whatever, but I don't know if nobody wants to read about it, but nobody is really reading about it you know when you look at Forbes or all these publications you don't you don't you don't see a lot of these titles you know article titles you know but this is so much more important i think because this is really what makes somebody successful it's it's really not the successes but how do you get over the failures yeah no question it, it and it, of course it's a bit clicheish but it's not that you fall it just matters that you get up after you fall and so as long yeah. as you're getting up you know one more time <laughs> Uh, versus staying down on the ground, then you know you'll figure it out. So how, how what, what was it? What did it feel like going from uh, you know a publicly traded company, something you know a really good position, and then making cold calls from you know for a company that nobody ever heard of, a brand new company, and you kind of really have to make this happen. Yeah. Uh, what kind of learning experience was that? Well, you know, it makes you question yourself and your own capability and your own self-worth. <laughs> so you've got to have some good grounding. Uh, part of my good grounding is I had a family and a wife who really believes in me. And she didn't get panicked through this time. You know, I, I, I had the benefit of coming home from a, a tough day work of cold calling and not success to a wife who wasn't uh, throwing some worries about money or, you know, is it going to work and you're not taking a paycheck but you're putting money in. I came home to somebody who uh, believed in me and knew I'd figure it out. And so uh, because she didn't doubt, my wife didn't doubt, um, I'll tell you, uh, that was huge for me. So, yeah. so let's talk about how long did it take you go to go from that very early beginnings when it was real tough, you know, nobody believed in you, nobody cared about you except you want, you had to make this happen. Um, how long did that process take? Was it a matter of months, years? And yeah. what, how did you feel during that whole process? You know, it was probably about a year and a half before we got some traction. And the traction came because we landed a client uh, who did a pretty significant training rollout using our content. 
and uh, you know that one client kind of turned us, uh, you know, turned the corner for us, and that was probably about 18 months in. So why not quit before then? I mean, most businesses, in, and the reason I'm asking these questions is I'm very interested in the first two years of business. That's when most businesses fail. Most businesses never get beyond that. So why, what, why did you not quit before that? kind of turning point in business yeah um you know i'd seen a couple of small successes you know it was probably part of it george that kept me saying okay we you know we had good feedback on this with a client you know maybe a small client but but part of it was honestly um really wrestling with what the alternative would would be so if i didn't make this thing work i figured my next step would be i'd have to go find a job with a company Mm-hmm. And by this time, um, you know, the idea of going back into corporate America and uh, trying to climb that ladder of success again, just it wasn't appealing to me. I really uh, I really wanted to create the autonomy uh, and I really wanted to create and build something. And the, the feeling was if I didn't stay with it, and make this thing work, my window was probably, you know, gone. I'm, I'm 52 now. And so this was I was about 40. 4042 when I was doing this and so I was feeling the talk that you know the clock ticking and feeling like if I didn't make you know acumen learning go this company um, I'd probably be back in corporate America and it would be hard to uh, find another window to be an entrepreneur again so it was kind of my shot okay okay yeah that's that's really good information because I think we don't hear enough of that you know I mean yeah you have done great things with your company and I want to talk about your 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 New York Times bestselling book uh, just in a moment but you know people you know from now on you can introduce yourself as a, as a best-selling author right but people need to hear you know what it really takes to get there and I think we just don't hear enough of that so I appreciate you sharing that let's talk about your book why did you write Seeing the Big Picture, and what did it take you to, to make the bestseller list? Yeah, so we, we released the book in 2012, so just a little over two years ago. Um, and the reason we wrote it, uh, probably a couple of reasons. For me, it wasn't so much that I thought it would make a lot of money. Most books don't. You know, there's so many books that are released that very few do well. I was uh, two reasons I wanted to do it. One was to really support the training that we were already doing. So I felt like, you know, we usually have classes anywhere from 20 to about 40 participants. And I wanted them, in addition to the training, to be able to give them a book that would help reinforce the training. So they would feel there was more value in it. They'd have a way to reinforce the learning. So one was to support the training. And the other was I wanted to build credibility for uh, our business. Um, you know, and I you know, didn't imagine or wasn't assured of certainly, uh, obviously, of it being a bestseller. But having a book, I felt like, would give me and the company some legitimacy. So those are probably the two reasons why we wrote it, support training and uh, to get credibility. Uh, how we made it, well, how we encouraged it and really supported it doing well in a bestseller, it was uh, – Number one on Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Barnes and Noble, and uh, Amazon, uh, and then a New York Times bestseller. But number one, I tried to write a good book, <laughs> and I invested heavily in getting a good editor with it. And so I, I think we kind of paid the price to get the book right. So that was one. Two, we also hired a publicist 
uh, somebody who could help get the word out to the right news outlets. And then three, uh, we uh, invested also in marketing around the book. So by this time, this is 10 years into our business. We're doing quite well. We're growing. We're profitable. And so uh, I really decided to invest in making this book uh, do well for us. So do you think, uh, you know, I mean, writing the book is obviously, it's not a money maker, but when you look at the big picture, do you think it's a good investment for a business to 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 write a book? It was for our business uh, because the book itself adds credibility. So my speaking fees uh, have been uh, have gone up as a result of the book. So um, for us, it was the exact right thing uh, to do. For some businesses, it may not be, but we're in the business of training and educating individuals in large companies. Uh, or even small entrepreneurial companies. But, uh, you know, people, um, since we're in an education, teaching, training, consulting business, people want to believe that we're credible ourselves around business. And having a book that does well really brings that credibility. So for us, I think it was important. Okay. Let's talk about a good learning experience that our audience could uh, could, could learn from. What, what was a mistake or... I'd rather call it a learning experience that you have made in business that would that served as a really good learning experience for you. Yeah, you know, probably one of the bigger mistakes. I don't know if it's the biggest, but one of the bigger ones I've made is, um, you know, our team values is really important to us. Our culture is critical, um, and uh, I've sat on, uh, you know, an individual who didn't emulate our values for too long. Um, you know, held on to this individual. They did. They had some good skills in our business. Um, you know, they were working with important clients, and I let that cloud my judgment and not moving quicker on an individual and moving them out of their role. Um, and and you know, so I was kind of trading off the good client work for somebody who was kind of damaging our culture. And so, you know, as I look back on it, I, I spent too much time trying to do damage control around an individual versus making a move on the individual. So, I, I, yeah, I think that might be one of my bigger ones. Okay. Uh, let's talk about dealing with the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur, growing a business, or taking a business to the next level. I'm sure you have those. How do you deal with them, uh, the roller coaster ride of being an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, you know, I think part of it is not losing sight of why you're in business or what your real purpose is in business. There's a great TED Talk by Simon Sinek that you may be seeing. He's talking about why uh, companies are successful. And he really talks about kind of three circles. The outer circle is what you do. Uh, just inward to that is how you do it. But the most important is right in the center, and it's why you do it. Um, what's your purpose? Uh, you know, what's your driving force? And I think if you can get really clear on why you're doing something, um, and keep that front and center the best you can. That helps you get through, you know, the tough times. I, I've heard kind of the idea that you can endure any what if you've got a clear why. And so, you know, for me, getting through the ups and downs to a degree is being uh, fairly centered around, so why am I doing this? What's the big picture? What's the long-run view? And then when I hit tough times, uh, that makes it a little easier to get through those. So, so the average consensus is, uh, is that about 50% of businesses fail within the first four years of being in business. Why do you think so many businesses fail? What, what do they do wrong? Yeah, well, they, they say the first or primary 
<coughs> reason a company will fail is they underestimate their cash needs. So I, I've got to put that, you know, near the top. Uh, they go into business thinking as soon as they start, you know, they open the doors or they get their product launched that people will flock to it, they'll buy it, and it will then, you know, pay their bills. Uh, most companies don't work that way. Amazon took eight years to generate a profit. So for eight years, you know, they're building their footprint. They're getting their processes in place. Um, but fortunately, they had investors still willing to invest in and put cash in the business. So number one, why I think a business will fail is, you know, possibly cash. I think number two might be that uh, entrepreneurs lack business acumen. So it might be that somebody enjoys cooking and decides, hey, I'm going to open a restaurant. Well, they're a great cook, but what they quickly realize is a restaurant is as much about running a business as it is about cooking. And so I think a lot of entrepreneurs are passionate about something but lack business acumen. They lack an understanding of how a company makes money, and therefore they're not able to make good decisions around that. So that's probably two. Second reason why, and a third, uh, I think – there are a lot of folks who love an idea, they love an idea of a business, but they're not really willing to get out and sell. Whether it's to customers, whether it's to uh, you know investors, uh, or even their own employees. And so they're too timid, uh, or maybe they don't have the work ethic, but you know most companies take a, a real Herculean effort. And a lot of that is a sales process. And so you've got some people maybe passionate about an idea but just not willing to, to get out and sell. Okay. Um, what was the best advice you have ever received? Um, you know, it's probably, probably two things. One, um, I like this idea that people work hard for a paycheck, harder for a person, and hardest for a purpose. So if you can really help people get behind a purpose for something, whether, again, it's employees or customers, um, I think that's where you get movement, you get motivation. And the other, it comes from Peter Lynch. He managed the Magellan Fund. He was quite a wealthy individual, and he made the comment, said, you know, nobody on their deathbed ever wished they would have spent more time at the office. Now, as an entrepreneur, the startup is tough, but at some point in time, You've got to find the momentum in that where you can then focus on those things that are also important in life, whether it be your friends, colleagues, families, relationships, you know, giving back. So probably those two things that have meaning for me. What do, what do you think is the most important thing for an entrepreneur to do during the first 12 months of being in business? Yeah. So I'd probably go back to the comment I made a minute ago. Number one, be willing to sell. Um, be willing to evangelize your product, to uh, promote it, to get it out there, to whether it's making the cold calls, you know, visiting the customers. Uh, but number one, be willing to sell. And, and number two, um, know your business. Um, if you're not a financial person, um, you either need to have somebody you really trust that's helping you with it or you've got to get it yourself. Uh, I think there are a lot of great ideas out there that just don't get off the ground because people weren't able to manage their financials, didn't know they were burning through their cash like they were. And so, number two, know your business, have key measures about your business that you track regularly. So you kind of have a your thumb on the pulse of how your company is doing financially. Well, that's great. That's great advice. Now, what do you think is the biggest time waster for entrepreneurs or businesses in general? You know, I think part of it could be over planning and not enough execution. Um, 
you know, I think uh, Lou Gershner came back to IBM to try and turn the place around. And his point, uh, he made a comment. He says, you know, we've got enough strategies to go around. We just need to get in and execute now um, and to make things happen. And so I think to some degree it, it might be fun and easy and a little easier to sit back and spend more time planning and kind of strategizing. But, you know, ultimately you've got to get out and execute. You've got to get the job done. You have built a very successful business, uh, Acumen Learning. If somebody came to you, either a friend or uh, a family member that had a job but wanted to be an entrepreneur seeing your success, what would be the first thing you would teach that person to succeed or set them on the right course? Yeah. Well, (laughs) this is going to sound a little self-serving, but I would teach them the five business drivers that we teach in our curriculum. I, I believe in them. And they're cash, profit, assets, growth, and people right in the middle of that model. But when when individuals can get their arms around those five business drivers, it will give them great insight into any business, including theirs. And so I'd help them understand cash, profit, assets, growth, and people. Well, Kevin, thank you very much for sharing your story and uh, you know for your for your openness. It's very important to me and to my audience. How can people learn more about you or connect with you or find out more about Acumen Learning? Yeah, so if they would email Kev, that's K-E-V, at Acumen Learning, Acumen, A-C-U-M-E-N, learning.com. I believe uh, some of our marketing team has put together a promotional code if somebody would want to experience our e-learning curriculum. And, of course, uh, we've got the book that you could ask about or or get on Amazon or the bookstore, uh, which is Seeing the Big Picture. Okay, so everybody out there, check out acumenlearning.com. And thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And, and I, you know, I, I learned so much from you. Thank you very much. My pleasure, George. Thanks for having me on.